Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. Now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. My very special guest today is Arthur Cole. Arthur, are you with me? I am, Michael. Great, great. Let's begin this journey together. I'll ask you the very first question. What is poetry? What is poetry, Michael? It's a very good question. Um, Obviously, uh, everybody has an individual uh, perception of poetry. Um, my 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 perception is that it's it's uh, basically writing uh, words uh, from the heart, um, and they also tell a story. Uh, and uh, throughout the the story, um, there's emotion, uh, expressions, um, and obviously challenging issues on some uh, some accounts. Um, but I run um, a poetry group on my Facebook, uh, Arthur's Poems, and there's about 1,400 members on that. So I asked this question uh, some weeks ago, uh, what they thought poetry was, to see how different it was to my sort of theory on it. And um, I must say that uh, some of the... Um, the answers were uh, quite quite challenging, really. Um, and I, mm-hmm. perhaps I can uh, read some of them to you, uh, what they think of it. Yes, I'd like that. Um, one, of the, one of the answers was, what is poetry? It was a deep feeling and understanding, um, tempered with, with humor. And, and entertaining. That was that was one of them. Um, another one was uh, what, what what a poet is. Uh, a poet is an artist painting in words, which which I thought was was a nice definition. It's very nice. Yeah, and the the, the one that I think uh, applies to me as well is that. Um, the poem uh, or the po- poetry is is constructed in the brain and polished in the heart. Oh wow, that's a nice one yeah. as well. Yeah, nice. and I, I I I can I can relate to that uh, in relation to the poetry that I write. Obviously, um, another another answer was uh, personal feelings, thoughts, dreams, goals hopes and desires, and the one that went with that was magical. So, mm-hmm. you, you know, you've got, a, you've got a whole amalgam of what poetry is there, and that's of myself and certain other individuals who read poetry and write poetry. What do you think the overall message is about poetry? What is, what is the message that we are attempting to, to share with others? Well, I think it's, it all depends what type of poetry you write. I think all poets um, try to get to the heart of the reader. 
Um, and I think that's one, that's one of the main things that I try to achieve. Uh, when I write a poem, um, whatever type of poem it is, I like to sort of hook, hook the reader early on in the poem. Um, and I think once you can hook them on that first couple of lines, they, they then want to read. It, it, it's like writing a book, you know, chapters of a book. Uh, people say, uh, I read the first chapter and I couldn't put it down as a real page turner. Um, mm-hmm. I think poetry is very similar to that. So say you write a, a five-verse poem. Um, once the, the reader reads the first couple of lines, they say, well, I've got to finish this. And I think that's the, the structure of poetry. Very nice, very nice. Now let's go back in your life. What was an early experience where you learned that poetry had power? But to be truthful with you, Mike, um, I didn't do a lot of poetry when I was in school. Um, And I was very, very lucky. Um, I left school at 17. But from the age of 16 till when I finished in school, um, we had a new English literature teacher who came to the school, uh, Mr. David John, his name was. Now, he was introduced uh, by the headmaster in the morning, but he didn't come into the class till the afternoon, obviously. Um, And when we saw him, uh, he came in, he must have been in his early 20s, 24, 25 perhaps, uh, long auburn hair, wearing denim jeans, cowboy boots, and a chamois jacket with the tassels on. Um, all, all that he basically needed was a cowboy hat. And um, he was carrying a dance set record player. And he went to the front of the class. He put the record player down. And he started talking to us. And I thought he was an American. Uh, as soon as he started talking, he introduced himself. I thought, this gentleman is from America. But then he mentioned his name. My name is David John. He said, I was born and bred in Nantamoyle which is a small Welsh mining village, not far from where I was born myself. And what it was, he'd, he'd finished his teacher training over here, and he'd, he'd, he'd gone to Canada, where he'd spent about three or four years uh, teaching English. And then obviously he came back to uh, our comprehensive school in my state. So once he introduced himself, uh, all he did was, he didn't have any books with him, he opened the, the record player up, and he played this record, and it was the um, the Universal Soldier, uh, which was um, a song uh, written by Buffy St. Marie, a Canadian singer. Um, and it was introduced in 1964. And it's basically uh, a, a war, anti-Vietnam war song, and basically uh, saying that uh, soldiers all over the world um, are responsible for our wars, but through a third person, that type of thing. And he played this record, and uh, he just threw it open to the class. You know, what's it about? What do you think of it? And he just hooked everybody. The song actually hooked us, uh, and his demeanor hooked us as well. And from that day on, he totally changed the way English literature was taught in the school. Mm. Wow. No, he went on. Yeah, so he went on oh. from there. Then, um, as mm-hmm. the classes progressed, and he introduced us to the war poets, 
Wilfred Owen, Sassoon, and that type of stuff. And I loved that. However, I didn't write any poetry at that time. And then I, I only had him for about nine months. And then I left school and I joined the Glamorgan Police. All right. All right. Wow. So what sure. happened then, obviously, okay. what happened then, I spent my whole career, 30-odd years, in the police. I never read a poem. I never wrote a poem. Um, and it wasn't until I retired in 1965, uh, to the, uh, it was towards the end of, of the year, when it's um, uh, 2000, sorry, 2015, going into 2016, um, that I read a poem on a coal mining site. And I read it. And I thought to myself, I'd like to write a poem, a coal mining poem, a, a, a poem related to coal mining. And I just opened my computer and uh, I knew what I wanted to write about. It was the Abavan disaster in 1966. And um, mm -hmm. I wrote the five verses. Uh, it didn't take me long. It took me about half an hour. And I put it on the coal mining site. And obviously um, I had loads of sort of um, replies and comments about it. And then I started writing coal mining poetry. And I think that's when uh, I, I, I realized the power of this of poetry could get to people from the mm -hmm. Sami. Um, and then I just I just kept on writing. So I've been I've been writing. I started writing when I was 66. I'm 71 now. So I've been, I've been writing constantly for five years. Fascinating story. Fascinating story. Share a poem for us, please. I will do that, Michael. I'll read you the um, the first poem that um, that I wrote, uh, which was uh, Abavan. I don't know whether any of the listeners have, uh, can relate to Abavan, um, but it was a horrendous disaster which occurred at 9:15 a.m. on Friday, the 21st of October, 1966, when a, a colliery spoiled it. Um, collapsed into many homes and the Pant Glass Junior School in Abavan, uh, killing uh, 116 children and 28 adults. And um, obviously it resounded around the world, this disaster did. Um, so this is the, the poem that I dedicated to, to the children. Abavan. Slag and slurry, the devil incarnate, robbed a village of lies and didn't abate. On that early morn, the sun fell from the sky. A giant black shadow drowned their small cry. Teachers and children fighting for air, the slag and the slurry lay the school bed, completely covered by the river of black. Many souls lost. If we could only go back, the village would come with all haste and speed, digging with hands, miners taking the lead, mothers wailing, where is my child? The black stuff still sliding, a torrent so vile. The number it took was 144. If only God had allowed a few hours more. Half term it would be later that day, so that we lost would have been on their way 
The survivors, they numbered 145, sad and heartbroken, however alive. God bless you all. Please rest in peace. Never forgotten. Well, love will not cease. And that's the end of that book. Wow. What did it feel like to post it for the very first time? Well, I didn't know what to expect, really, uh, Michael, because mm-hmm. I said I'd never written a poem before. It was the first yes. poem I'd ever written. And, um, like, the the replies I had back, the messages back off, obviously, um, some miners who were actually there at the scene who were digging with their hands, obviously, um, and relatives of, of uh, loved ones that they'd lost. And uh, you know they they loved it. You know the you know the hearts and this you know this type of thing popped up. You know, um, and it it made me feel um, humble, proud. Obviously that um, I could give something back to the community. You know, and that's yes. how I felt after I'd written that poem. As you think about your work, I know that you wrote cold poetry. What are some of the other predominant themes? Um, when I started, obviously, the coal mining was um, was there at the fore. Obviously, uh, I, um, I, I wrote a lot about Victorian coal mining where young children were used underground, um, the dangers. Then I progressed to the um, the war poetry, uh, World War One, World War Two, predominantly World War One. And then I progressed to writing about anything, really, um, celebrities, um, a bit of politics, uh, anything, really, that took my fancy. I'd see something on the telly or I'd read something in the paper, and then it would just trigger my mind off, you know, um, I'll write a poem about that. Um, And when I I write these poems, um, uh, I don't make any notes as such. like for I knew about Abavan because I was only 16 years of age when it happened. You know, I knew it, my father was a collier, so in our house when it happened, you know, it was it was a black black day that day was, uh, and for weeks after, you know, uh, every village in Wales was sort of overcome with grief. Um, you know, so many young children lost, obviously. So, you, you know, what I mean, I, I I write about anything. I I, I published three. Three books. Um, obviously, the coal mining and industry are now lost because, as you, as you can appreciate, there are no coal mines in in Wales uh, at all. In Great Britain, actually. Um, then, uh, obviously, the World War One poem, poems, um, poems for a lost generation. And then I, I did fifty famous people, which um, I put on my group uh, and I asked the members who they'd like me to write about and. Uh, Obviously, uh, I picked the, the top 50 out, uh, the celebrities, singers, uh, Elvis Presley, um, that type of thing, you know what I mean? Uh, mm-hmm. some, Welsh, some Welsh actors, actresses, um, Muhammad Ali's in there, you know, great, great, great people, you know. So I predominantly Tom write Jones. about anything. Did you include Tom Jones? Yeah, Tom is in there. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, Tom the Voice, he's in there. Uh, uh, would right. you like to listen to Tom's uh, poem? Yes, I'd love it. Okay. Well, as you know, t- Tom, Tom, uh, Tom Jones. Let me just find him. 
the voice. I call him the voice. Um, as you know, he's he, he's eight years of age now, Tom, and um, spent a lot of time in America, resurrected Elvis's career, as you know. Um, yes. So uh, th- this is this is Tom Jones. Um, I titled it the voice. He was a Collier's son, destined to sing. Even today, he's regaled as the king. It's not unusual would bring him fame. Thomas Woodward, his certified name. From humble beginnings, playing the pubs, finally graduating to work in men's clubs, fronting the senators with soul in his voice, that night in cum terere, an ultimate choice. Top Act was the venue, a life changer for Tom. From that night forward, a superstar was born. Gordon Mills spotted his talent and made him an offer. Come up to the smoke. You've got to go solo. The 60s were swinging, an offer so tempting. Tom Jones he became, adoration never relenting. His baritone voice, full-throated, robust. Six generations on, he leaves wannabes in his dust. Music was his passion, American soul and blues, putting Elvis in the shade, gradually filling his shoes. Las Vegas was called, the strip he would ring, a boy from the valleys, now a super... Arthur? The call dropped. So Arthur is not with us at this moment. Things happen when you're on the air. So what I'd like us to do is to listen to some music, and we'll be back.
Michael Anthony Ingram. Welcome to the program. Arthur is here, too. So let's bring Arthur back on. Hello, Michael. Hello, Arthur. I'm sorry about that. I don't know what happened, but uh, we lost the connection somewhere. Yes. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. But yeah. you're back now, and everything is great. Thanks well, very I much didn't get to hear the <laughs> We didn't get to hear the end of the Tom, po- Tom Jones poem, but that was a great poem. I mean, you really went into detail about his life. Yes. Well, what I basically do, um, Michael, if I'm, especially if I'm doing an individual, I'll, I'll read up on them, obviously, um, get the info, the bio, and then um, I've got it all in my head, and then I get the first couple of lines off, and then it just flows from there, you know what I mean? And I get the, get the right words in, and, you know, uh, with Tom Jones, as you know, he was a, a soul singer, American soul was his sort of... Uh, uh, blues and soul, that's what he liked, you know what I mean? And um, you've got to get those in as well, you know. Oh, wow. Now, your writing is very precise. Does writing energize or exhaust you? Um, oh, it energizes me. Um, Tell me more. I, I, I get up in the morning. Um, I open my computer uh, if I'm not writing chapters for my thrillers, um, uh, I think I've written three poems now in two days. Uh, uh, four poems, actually, about sportsmen, three Welsh rugby players, and Alex Higgins, the snooker player, um, because um, I saw a program on, on Alex Higgins, so I thought, well, I'd write a poem about him, you know, um, this type of thing. So the writing comes easy to me. Um, uh, and like I say, I write every day. If I'm not writing um, poetry... I'm writing chapters for my thrillers, obviously. So I, wow. I don't really, I, I don't get bogged down. Uh, and like I say, I, I don't make any notes. Uh, I, I might make notes of dates and stuff like that. But once I, once I research what I'm writing about, um, uh, it just flows. I get the first couple of couple of lines, um, and everything falls into place if you understand me. And I, I keep it uh, to about five verses. Sometimes it'll go, it'll go further than that. Um, but, you know, it's usually about five verses. Um, I write it straight off. And then basically what I will do then, I'll, I'll put the computer down, I'll have a cup of tea, and then I'll just go through it again and just tweak it, basically. Please share another poem. Yeah, uh, well, I, I've, I've written a couple of, obviously, American poems, because uh, I'm, I'm very sort of uh, Martin Luther King I've written. I'll give you Martin Luther King. I think that yes. will, uh, yes. will sort of... Uh, yeah. I'd love for you to I, recite it as well. So it's a beautiful piece. I will. Okay. So, uh, as you know, he's a great man, a sad loss to the world. This poem I titled... I had a dream. Born into persecution, he was whipped as a child by a Bible-punching father, often reviled. I will make something of you, his father would roll, on becoming 15, those beatings no more. He became a man of God, his fellow brothers to serve, a civil rights leader, with a following unreserved. He had a vision for mankind, 
a story to behold, an orator of peace, later extolled. Nonviolence was his rhetoric, equality is gold. Despair and segregation was branded on his soul. Fighting for his people would become mere dross undervalued by a nation who showed little remorse. Degraded on buses, stand up for the whites, and lawful to sit, Jim Crow stole their rights. When Rosa Parks was arrested, he took up the fight, the Montgomery boycott, erasing their plight. Now treated as equals, it was his finest hour, catapulted to fame, no wielding much power. He galvanized the South with speeches profound, detested by Hoover, subterfuge would abound. As a peace-loving man, he campaigned against war, he was anti-Vietnam, bloodletting aboard. Young black men sacrificed to free the oppressed, whilst in the land of the free, Hate their bequest. He was an enemy of the state, of that there's no doubt. A controversial black man who they could do without. Death threats ignored. God's will would preach. Peaceful protestation he eternally beseeched. On a hot Memphis night, his life was cut short. Gunned down by James Ray without a thought. His death had caused riots all over the nation. Black youth rebelling. Such a grave situation. He was a man with a dream to unite the nation. Generations still follow a true inspiration. The land of the free should bow in shame. Whilst Martin Luther King is still shrouded in fame. And that I dedicated to. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. That is so powerful. And it really touched me. It really touched me. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. My pleasure, do you think? Yes, do you think that someone who's a poet, if they don't feel strong emotions? No, I think I think you've got to have emotion, um, Michael. Um uh, where you get these emotions from, um, I, I have no idea, really. Um, I think we're all born with emotion, personally. And um, it's, like, um, it's like when people say, uh, I don't believe in God. Uh, and I say to these people, and uh, throughout my career, I say, well, I am sure uh, when your child is sick, or one of your relatives is sick or gravely ill, I have no doubt you do look up and to God. So uh, that's my sort of uh, take on uh, emotion and belief. All right. Do you come from a literary background? No, not at all. Um, my father, um, as I told you, was a, was a coal miner. Um, my mother, uh, during the war, used to work in a munitions factory. Um, and from a coal mining village, I'm one of six children. Um, 
Uh, we've all got on great, but that was the way we were brought up. Uh, we didn't have much, um, you know, uh, things were at a premium during the 50s and the 60s. Um, but no, that, that, there was no sort of um, liter literature in the house. Um, I, I can't even remember my parents sort of reading to us, to be honest with you, because they didn't really have to because the, the primary school that I went to, um, you know, it was three hours then reading, writing, and arithmetic. So you were reading all the time, basically. Um, so the, the, it, it, my father was working, obviously, so he, you know, he, he was bed, he's bed to work, my father was, and my mother was bringing six children up, so she didn't really have the time to... Uh, to, to go into the, the, the writing aspect of it with us. All great writers have great writing influences. Who are some of yours, and what makes them great in your eyes? Well, obviously, the, the, the first um, gentleman who influenced me was, was Mr. John, Mr. David John. Sadly, um, he passed away, but Obviously, I dedicated my, my first book to him because, obviously, he, he sparked this, this, uh, this poetry um, journey, even though I didn't take it up until I was very, very late uh, in, my, in my life. But certainly, if, if Mr. John hadn't come to the school and sort of showed English lit as it should be... Um, Obviously, I wouldn't be where I am today with the writing. Um, like I say, he introduced us to the war poets, uh, Wilfred Owen and people like that, and I was very interested in, in, in those. So uh, Owen is another one influence. And I don't read, I don't actually read poetry, Micah. Um, I don't read other people's poetry. The only poetry I actually read, I, I, I admin a, a a poetry site, and obviously I've got to read the poems uh, before mm -hmm. I authorize them for the Facebook, obviously. So that's the only poetry that I actually read, um, because I don't want to be actually influenced by other poets, if, you, if, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. Um, I, I've got my own sort of style, um, mm -hmm. and I don't want anything to, to deviate me off that style. Um, my poetry is very, very authentic, um, and, and that's the way I like to write. You know, it's my my poetry is uh, storytelling, authentic stories like Martin Luther King. It's it's basically a, uh, an eight verse story of Martin Luther's life, basically. Only it, it's pacey yes. down, obviously, um, and, and that's what I like. Um, and I try to hook people with it. And um, people who read my poetry say, we can understand it. And I think that's very important in poetry. Mm -hmm. I think the readers have got to understand what you're writing about. Um, and I like to think that I do that with my poetry. Please share another poem. Okay, I'll give you the... Um, I'll do one here from the war. Um, this, this, this poem is entitled War Horse. Um, and as you know, during the First World War, um, thousands upon thousands of horses were taken off the farms and shipped over to France. And um, this is the story 
of the war horse. I remember it well yesterday. My master cried, but he had to obey. Uniformed men, they stole me that day. My future now destined a land far away. Down to the port with thousands like me, winched on a ship, our fate, history. We landed in France, not knowing our worth, paddocked together, no peace on earth. Shell blasts I heard, far away in the distance, all new to me, the night sky had glistened. That is the night, death hit home to me, a war horse my fate, that's how it would be. The following day, a task I was given, pulling a gun, it was so unforgiving, mile after mile, slowly and tiring, shells bursting overhead, brave men lay dying. Once at the front, harness undone, back down the line, the hero and son, fed and warmed, I lay down to rest, a far foreign field would be my bequest. Four years I toiled, carnage abounding, pulling the cannon, gunfire resounding. I lost many friends to gash and shell, death commonplace, a vision of hell. Peace came at last, it had taken its toll, horses and men, many lost souls, the stench of death with me forever, brave men and horse, in heaven together. We played our part in that abhorrent war, while enemy soldiers spilled each other's gore. I was taken by men to follow this course, whom I am now, a strong, proud war horse. And I, I dedicated that to the, to the horses in the First World War, Michael. I did not know that horses were shipped to France. I love documentaries and stories about World War One and World War Two. I did not know that. Yes, thousands were shipped. Um, the the farmers, especially, um, they'd be there one day with the horses, and the, the army would come and say, "We want those horses," and they they just took them basically. A lot of them never returned. I I did that through the eyes of a war horse who returned returned to Britain. Obviously. Yes. Um, wow. And what I like to do with my poetry, um, if I'm writing about an individual, especially a, a soldier, I, I like to put myself in the, sho the shoes of that soldier and how we fought, you know. Um, mm -hmm. Like, I, um, I, I, I did one uh, shot at dawn, you know, where a, a young soldier is, is in front of a firing squad. Um, I don't know if you want to hear that one. I'd love to. I was going to ask, please. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, uh, I, 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 I wrote this one through the eyes of a 16-year-old boy who went to war thinking it would be over in a few months. He ended up on the Western Front where he watched carnage unfold. And this is his story. Shot at dawn. I was only 16 when I answered the call. Liberty to fight for. Well, it's giving my all. It will be over in months, that's what they said. Like lambs to slaughter, brave men were led. The Western Front beckoned, I couldn't wait. With rifle and bayonet, not knowing my fate. Fighting was vicious, 
with no quarter given, slaughter enfolding, hinging the living. Day after day I saw brave comrades dying, my mind in turmoil, sobbing and crying. Back in the trenches my whole body shook, with eyes closed I prayed, sleep I forsook. Dawn it was breaking, I couldn't take any more, under cover of darkness I left an ungodly wall. In a barn I took refuge, daytime nightmares, bodies and carnage I could see everywhere. My freedom short-lived, arrested and shackled, no solace given for a mind not embattled. Court-martialed I was, sentenced to death. In 24 hours I would draw my last breath. I was left with no hope, blindfolded at dawn in this war of all wars. We were just mere pawns. I wasn't a coward. My mind had been addled. I was a victim of slaughter I'd witnessed in battle. I didn't feel shame. It was no fault of my own. In my broken mind, I had no need to atone. I went to my maker, my soul now cleansed, a casualty of war I could not comprehend. And that's the end of that shorter dawn point. You're extremely talented. What do you hope that readers get from encountering your poems? Um, I like to think they get sort of um, what I'm writing about. Um, like I say, the the futility of war, mm -hmm. the the agony of coal mining. How miners were treated underground in the Victorian times. Um, how, how many children were lost during the war, during the mines, that type of thing. Um, I, I, I like to hook them, you know, hook them to the poem. Um, mm -hmm. And what I find is with with the poetry, uh, it goes all over the world now, the poems do, and um, you get people getting in contact with you, will, will you write a poem for me for Anzac Day? Will you write a poem for the shot at dawn people? The, the, those are the soldiers who were shot at dawn during the First World War, um, but 300 were recently pardoned, a couple of years who were pardoned. They weren't cowards, they were suffering from shell shock or post-traumatic stress as it would be today. Um, yes. So I, I just like to open people's minds, um, and people have said to me, well, I never knew that. I never knew that. I never knew that happened. I said, well, as long as the poem can sort of hit home to you and make you think and perhaps research, you know, um, especially young, younger people, you know, um, in schools, that type of thing, you know what I mean? Wow, Arthur. Amazing. Amazing. Let's take a brief break and we'll be right back.
am Michael Anthony Ingram. We're here with Arthur Cole, the fantastic Arthur Cole. Now, to you, Arthur, what are some of the most prevalent ingredients that go into this concoction we call a poem? How is it constructed? What goes into it? Um, obviously, the, the first thing is the subject matter. Um, I, I think my my poetry is off it. Like, I'll give you an example. Um, I'm very friendly with a, a lady poet who lives on Rathlin Island, which is an island uh, just off the tip of Northern Ireland. She's a poet. She's a romantic poet, Mary is. And I converse with her over the internet. And um, she kept telling me about Rathlin Island. Um, so I said, well, I'll write you a poem about Rathlin Island, um, Mary. So once I finished with it, I researched it. Um, it's uh, it's an island where there are numerous shipwrecks off the coast. It's um, it's a bird sanctuary, it's an animal sanctuary. With seals, they they've got the whole the whole gambit there. You know what I mean? It's it's a beautiful, beautiful island. So I, I researched it. I wrote the poem. It didn't take me long, um, half an hour perhaps. And I sent it to her. I didn't hear from her for a few days, um, and then she got in touch with me. She said, Arthur, I loved your poem, she said. Um, my eldest daughter read it, and she asked if you'd ever been to Rathlin Island. And I told her, no, the man lives in Wales. And her words were, how can a person who's never been here write that? Because Mary said, that's our island. So I, I try to do that with my poetry. Uh, I try to bring it to life and to make it authentic. In fact, Mary mm -hmm. gave, me, gave me that handle, uh, and I said, what does that mean? She said, you tell stories in poems. Yes. Uh, yes, um, you do. Yeah, and, and she said, you know, people can understand them, you know. It's, 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 it's as if you're there. It's as if you've been there. Um, yes. And like my yes. daughter said, how can a man write that if he's never been here? Um, so, How do you, you know, think I tried, you're able to do it? How are you able to do it? I have no idea. I have no idea. Um, I don't know whether it was my priest background. I was a detective for 27 years, and obviously I've mm -hmm. interviewed, interviewed all sorts of people, um, um, victims of all sorts of crime. I've dealt with every crime imaginable. And I don't know whether it's when I've been interviewing victims and defendants, that type of way, my mind has just sponged emotions up and what people are thinking up. Um, do you understand me? Um, yes, and I think, it's all, yeah, I think it's all been dormant there for like 40 years, or 50 years. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, like I said, when I wrote the Arbor Van poem, it's, if it's like unlocked a safe, <laughs> um, wow. and all this stuff is in there, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, I can't explain it, Michael, because... Um, I don't know where it comes from. People have asked, like people I've known for all my life. I said I didn't know you wrote poetry. I didn't know you wrote novels. I didn't know. You, I, I said, well, I didn't until uh, six years ago. You know, mm -hmm. if if you'd said to me uh, six years ago you'd have three poetry books published, you'd have nine thrillers, and you've got three in the pipeline, um, I go, you must be having a joke. Are you or what? You know. <laughs> Uh, but I, oh, I don't wow. know where it's come from. I don't know whether other poets uh, are like that. I don't know. Um, 
but it's I I don't know what it is, Michael. To be honest, I can't really answer that. All right. Do you think you discovered it reemerged in you poetry? Do you think you were meant to be a poet? No, I don't think so, Michael. To be honest with you, because I go back to the trigger, which was Abba Van. You know what I mean? If I hadn't written Abba Van, um, I wouldn't be talking to you tonight or this afternoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no mm-hmm. doubt about that. You know, it triggered me off, and um, I've been on the roller coaster ever since. If you, if that can describe it, you know, I, I haven't got off. I really I'm st- I'm, enjoy I'm, talking to you. <laughs> I just I'm, want to throw that in. <laughs> I'm, sti- I'm, I'm still on this ro- I'm still on this roller coaster, and I don't know when it's going to stop. If it will ever stop, I don't know. Um, mm. Wow. When you write, do you sit and think through every word of every stanza, or do you write freely and allow the words to flow? Well, like I say, um, I do a lot of research reading, obviously, off the internet. Basically, I don't read books. I don't even read crime thrillers. I write crime thrillers, but I never read crime thrillers, and I do the same with that. Why, why read crime thrillers when you're writing them yourself? <laughs> you know? Mm. Um, yeah. And basically, basically what I'll do um, is like the Tom Jones poem. I research it, and I know exactly what I'm going to do for the first couple of lines. And I'll, uh, I'll sit down in my chair here. i got the telly on. Uh, I'll open my computer, I go to Word, um, and I get the first two lines down, and then it just flows out. Because I've got all these, I've got all these adjectives and uh, quotes in my head. Um, I, I don't make any notes. They're just there, you know, and uh, I do the four or five verses or the six verses, and I, I have a blow, and then I go back. And perhaps I'll alter it. I tinker with it then, but it won't be for long. It'll only be for about 10 minutes until I'm happy with the poem. And then mm-hmm. it's, I just ping it and put it on the sites, you know. Um, so so that's, that, that's basically that concept. That's what you do? <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I, I awesome. write um, by you in my chair watching death. We've had another break in the system, but you know what we always do. We roll with the punches and we keep on going. I'm going to play some music again. Hopefully, Arthur will be back and we can continue this poetic journey. Thank you. 
We are back, and author is here. Let me bring him on. Author. How are you, Michael? I'm back. Hello. <laughs> I'm glad you returned. <laughs> There's more to do. There's more to do. Okay. Would you read another poem for us, please? Author, are you with me? Michael? <laughs> Hello, my friend. The, I, I, think the I don't know what's happening good. either. No, but he didn't stop that. us, though. He didn't stop us. Nope. It's like a time mix. He took a licking and kept on ticking. Kept yeah, on ticking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Share another poem before we go. Yes. I'll, um, I, there's, there's a story behind this one, and um, it's, it's another, another disaster in, in, a, in a mine. Um, it's called Brave Men of Glacian. The towie meandering swiftly with ease, evergreens rustling in a light breeze, birds sweetly singing way up on high, till a bibbeck not knowing brave men would die. Seven men drifted 90 meters below, routine blasting the way it should go. At 9.21, all went tragically wrong. A torrent of water released on the throng. The volume of water, a dam being breached. Three of the seven, the entrance they reached. Rescue was ampered, divers sent down. The following day, all four souls found round. A tragedy the worst for decades. United a village, those hard times ahead. Hearts broken in pieces on that fateful day. Love and support, the Welsh mining way. The Towie's still flowing not far from the mine. Killer Bibbeck will mourn with love so divine. Lest we forget brave souls that we lost. Mining for coal comes at a great cost. That's in memory of the four brave miners who lost their lives on the morning of 15th of September 2011 at the Glacian Drift Mine, Kilibibich, wow. West Wales. Wow. Um, the, that, that I wrote that um, and I put it on a coal mining site that I'm on 
And within mm-hmm. five minutes, my phone beeped. I, it was a messenger, you know, the Facebook messenger thing. And yes. um, it was off a fella called Nigel Evans. And um, he said, Mr. Cole, I've just read your poem. He said, it's absolutely brilliant. Well, I said, thank you very much, Nigel. Um, he said, I should know. He said, I was one of the survivors. Oh, wow. So I had to think twice. I thought, hang on a minute now, is, is this genuine or not? So I go back on the site. And I put his name in up he comes. He's a he's a butcher now in the village where, where the, the drift mine was. Um so I go back in touch with him, I say, Look, look Nigel, I, I'll take the poem off. Um obviously uh, I don't upset anybody your family. He said, No, please leave it on there and see, can I have the poem? I said, Of course you can. Uh, it's yours. I said, you, the poem is yours. And he said, I'm gonna have it all framed up for my grandchildren. Um mm. and then he said to then he said to me, have you listened to the Poet Laureate's poem about Glaishan? I said, no, no, uh, um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't listen or read poetry. I said, uh, he said, will you please listen to it? So I did. Uh, I listened to it. And I couldn't understand it. Okay. Um, so I rang him back. And um, I said, I can't. He said, I couldn't either. He said, you were poem. I read it. I shut my eyes and I was back in the pit in the, in the mine, he said. Um, and I, I think that's what I try to get out of my poetry, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, so much is happening in the world today. So much. The pandemic plus protests plus you name it. What do you think is the role of a poet in modern-day society? Well, I, I certainly think, I, I'm speaking about my own poetry, obviously. I, I don't know what other poets yes. um, would think, yes. but certainly out of my poetry, I like to think that like somebody will come home from work who's on my group or whatever, um, have they tea, um, and think, I see what Arthur's put on the group tonight. And they'll go to the group and they'll read a poem and they'll leave me a message, this type of thing, you know. And I, I, perhaps it'll break their day up. Um, because as you say, everything is in turmoil at the minute, and I think mm-hmm. poets um, have got a, a big role to play um, in. The, they go on about people's mental health and stuff. Um, yes. I try, yes. Yeah, oh, I, yeah. I try to encourage people to write. Um, I say, don't be afraid to write. Um, I've had many, many people um, get in touch with me, or I don't like to share my poems. I say, no. Start a group, start a page, whack your poems on there, get people to read them, invite your friends on there, this type of thing, and it, it will, um, it will give you resolve. It will, it will clear your mind, and it will take your mind off other things as well. You know what I mean? Um, that's that's yes. how I see, that's how I see poetry this day and age. The very last question for you, Arthur, and we'll close. Does knowing that your poems are published? You've got three books plus other outlets. And out there in the world, validate you being a poet, or are you content knowing they're out of your system? Um, I, I never got into poetry to, to be published, Michael. That, that's the first okay. thing I'd like to, like to say. I, I, I didn't write. I, um, I was lucky to get a publisher, and it came through the poems, obviously, uh, especially the coal mining poetry but. The, um, a publisher got in touch with me and said, I'd like to do your poems. I said, well, fair enough. And then he asked about the books. And um, 
But you, you know, I mean, uh, it's not the be all and end all to be published, um, and it doesn't give me any sort of kudos that I am a published poet and an author. Um, as long as people enjoy what I'm writing, I'm quite happy. Um, the next three thrillers that I'm writing with Nigel, they've, written, they've, they've been finished. We will self-publish them ourselves on Amazon. Because what I have found in the five years with a publisher, you haven't got a lot of control on A, when the books are coming out, okay. and uh, and everything else that goes along with a publisher. Whereas when you self-publish, you've got more control. Um, mm-hmm. You can tell you can tell your audience, there's a new book coming out on June in June, that type of thing. I uh, I'm not a big publish publisher lover to be honest. If I'm going to be true for you, Michael, um, I, I prefer now to go down the the self-publishing route and just carry on with the the type of poetry I write, um, the type of thrillers that we write, uh, and, and it's like going from one box to another box, but nothing's changed. I could to you all day, all evening, share stories about poetry, about life, but we've come to the end of the program. I want to thank you, Arthur, for such a wonderful interview. I wish you nothing but the best. Continued success. I really enjoy your work. Thank you, Michael. Um, thank you for inviting me onto onto your program and uh, give uh, all our best to our friends over the pond, as they say. Yes. All right. And to everyone, take care. And as I state every week, let poetry reign. You have just listened to the quintessential listening poetry online radio podcast with your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And make sure to catch our next episode.